This is Mission.org. Hello and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. And I apologize if there's any noise in the background because we are here at the Serious Decision Summit in Austin, Texas. Come say hi to us at the Pardot booth if you're here. Today's episode is an interview with Ryan Benici. Ryan is the CMO of G2. Previously, he served as a senior director of global marketing at HubSpot and the head of marketing for APAC at Salesforce. On this episode, Ryan talks about his background and how he turned a job as a flight attendant into a career in marketing. He also dives deep into how he has been able to successfully drive growth, including how he was able to generate $64 million with the $6,000 campaign. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. On the other line in San Francisco, California, Lauren Vaccarella, what's going on? Not much. How are, how are you, Ian? I'm doing wonderful because I just spent a week in Sydney and you spent a week in Sydney two weeks ago and our special guest used to live in Sydney. Ryan, what's going on? Hey there, team. How are we all doing? I'm Super doing great. to have you on this. I was talking to Ian earlier of we get such incredible guests on this on this podcast, and also the more international guests we get, the better, but really, really excited to have you on. Thanks, Lauren. I'm pumped to be here. Although I do feel like there's a bit of pressure on me now to have an Australian accent and really push it strong, so um, I'll try. I mean, I'll try hard, okay? <laughs> I mean, honestly, you can pretty much say anything, and it'll sound, it'll sound great. The Somewhat fun. <laughs> Definitely sound better than me, that's for sure. Um, it's allergy season. From the Bronx, you should hear what I actually sound like. <laughs> so one of the reasons we were so excited to have you on the show is I find myself on g2crowd.com every day. Now the artist formerly known as G2 Crowd because you've officially rebranded to G2, which is exciting. But I, I feel like every single day I type in the name of a company and I type competitors and G2 shows up almost always uh, at the very top of the search results. So I want to get into all of that and your background and we'll uh, we'll weave our way through uh, a bunch of other interesting things about content marketing, marketing career advice. You've worked at a lot of really cool companies like Microsoft, ExactTarget, Salesforce, HubSpot, and more. So first, how did you get into marketing? Yeah, so I um I, I was one of those kids that was um a little bit weird in the sense of I think from like the age of ten I always knew I wanted to be a CMO, and oddly I knew I wanted to be a CMO by the age of thirty. I'm not sure why I set myself that ridiculously weird and specific goal, but yeah, I was always just really obsessed with marketing and the idea of like taking a product to market and selling it and. Um, and yeah, studied marketing, kind of went into it, started my career at Microsoft. So on the B2C side of marketing, selling software online. This was back in the day when like we actually had laptops that had like CD drives and 
people would pirate software. And so ran some big campaigns with Microsoft to drive students to not cheat. And so that was really fun, really interesting. And then, yeah, that then kind of moved into B2B marketing with exact target, then moved on yet yeah, to Salesforce, HubSpot, and now G2. And happy to go into any details specifically on any of those companies, if you like. So I, I heard this really interesting fun fact about you that I would love to hear about how you, how you got your, your first marketing job and what you were doing before that. Yeah, sure. So, um, so in high school years, 11 and 12, I, um, worked pretty hard and got a good grade and then started university. And after like a year of doing it, I was just feeling burnt out and I just wasn't super passionate about it. Partly I think because of those two years at high school. And so I saw that there was a, a job with Qantas to be an international flight attendant. And so applied, I don't know, I think there was something like 20,000 applicants and they then cut that down to like 2000 and then there was like 250 of us that came in for like full days of interviews and long story short I got a job as a flight attendant with Qantas which was amazing and so sometimes I would work up in first class and business class and I was always obsessed with just having really interesting business focused conversations with the passengers up the front because you know most passengers in first class and business class are traveling for, for business more so than pleasure and, you know, I met an exec that worked at Microsoft at the time and I remember chatting with them about, you know, marketing and my thoughts on what they were doing. And they told me that, yeah, there was an opening for um, a graduate position at Microsoft that they were doing big rounds of interviews for. And, and yeah, so from there, I kind of looked into it and again, went through like a big group interview process that then got down to, I think they hired six of us in the end. So really kind of like fortunate in the sense of being in the right place at the right time. I, I love that story and I love how you can take those interactions and take the, the one sort of job that you had and turn it into this, this amazing career. And it's, it's right place, right time, but it's the initiative and the gumption and that sort of drive that, that makes the impact because that Microsoft executive has talked to likely hundreds of flight attendants and thousands of sort of different people. And this hasn't happened for them. So I think that's super interesting. And especially for even people that are newer in their careers or later in their careers to, to sort of internalize that as much as possible. And how do we take advantage of the opportunities presented to us? Yeah. And I think, I think for me too, I'm just like genuinely fascinated by successful people. Like I love reading biographies and I love just like learning about people and what they're doing and how they make money. I'm pretty fascinated by that. And so, you know, I think I was just genuinely interested in like learning about their story and what they were doing at work. And I remember even when we had this, when I had the CEO of Qantas, the airline I worked for on once, I remember like kneeling down and chatting to him. His name was Alan Joyce for like 30 minutes about how he was thinking about growth. And I remember like saying to him, I just didn't think they did a good enough job at training their flight attendants in terms of customer service, because, you know, the flight attendants are the, are really like the, the only in the main interaction that customers have with the brand. And a lot of the airlines in Asia do a, do a better job, I think, at customer service training. And anyway, I, I think, you know, I must have been like 20 at the time when I was saying this to him, but I just was never really afraid to give people feedback if it felt like it was real and it was coming from my perspective and, you know, it was real to me. And so um, I find most leaders are pretty receptive to that because I think they're 
they don't receive that much feedback. You'd think they would, but most people are afraid to tell senior executives the truth about things. So that's kind of been a, a bit of a kind of hallmark, I think, in my career. And I haven't always gone about it in the right way in terms of how I deliver that feedback, but I've learned and, and gotten better over the years, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, from my time in the military, uh, speaking truth to power is an important thing in the military. And I was definitely the uh, young officer that was shooting off emails to people I shouldn't have been. But there's a certain point where, you know, um, and I wasn't trying to, you know, screw anybody over, but there are other times where it's like, you know, if you see something at the at the lowest level, it's like how many mistakes are being made at, at that point, like across, you know, something like the entire United States Army or the entire uh, entire Qantas ecosphere. You're talking about it's a lot of stuff and it's kind of your responsibility to step up and say something. I think as Eric Reese said that if you were to say like the innovation if you're like to have like an innovation score of a company, it would be how quickly can an idea get from the like least tenured employee to to the CEO and then all the way back down. And I always thought that was an interesting metric. You, you've been CMO of G2 for uh, about a year and a half. What has it been like taking over this role? Were you excited to join because of kind of this immense potential of, of building a business marketplace. I think it's something, you know, Lauren and I talked before this about how something often done really poorly and to have someone doing it right is pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, gosh, the last year and a half has, has truly like genuinely been the most rewarding year of my life. It has actually been I can't even put into words. It's been just remarkable. Now it hasn't been easy. Um, it's definitely been probably the most challenging, like and stressful and difficult year and a half. But it's been amazing. And I think you know, I was really excited to join G two mainly because you know I'd always worked for software companies, right? And you know, I, I always worked for software companies that I was proud of, that I thought had amazing products, and. You know, if I think all the companies that I work for were always leaders on G2. So I actually, part of like how I choose companies to work for is I look at their Glassdoor reviews to see what's the company culture like. And then I look at their product reviews from customers. What are their, what's their product like? Because I think the reality is it doesn't matter how great someone's company culture is. If they have a shitty product, the, the company culture won't last for very long because there won't be money to fund the company culture. Yeah. And so, um, so I kind of, so G2 was, was always like on my radar, I'd always used it. But I think what I started to realize, you know, as I got a few years into, you know, being a SaaS marketer was that, you know, you might work for a great product, but not every software product is right for every business. And, you know, every product has its limitations. Every product has components within it that it's better at than others. And so I think for me, what was really nice was to move away from representing and marketing one particular company and or, and or one particular product, but to now be able to really sort of join G2 and champion the, the concept of like software and how software can help businesses reach their potential. But what's really nice is that G2, you know, we're not, we're not biased in that we want you to use one software over another software. Sometimes we'll recommend that you don't use any software because the problem that we're identifying that you have isn't a software problem. It might be you don't have enough people or you're implementing the wrong strategy. So it was really nice to make that shift. And, you know, it's been, it's been a whirlwind kind of year and a half. We raised our Series C. We acquired a company. Um, it's, been, it's been really, really fun. 
Do you think that, you know, we, we, we talk about how, how tough it is for marketers with like, you know, especially like in the MarTech stack and stuff like that, where we've all seen that, that chart where it's like a million logos on the, on the MarTech stack and things like that. And I think, you know, now more than ever, there's so many things out there that it's tough to get noticed. Do you find that marketers that are looking to G2, that their problem is that they're trying to figure out a way to get noticed? Or do you think that it's something that people are using it to bake off products or to make a smarter decision um, or vendor decision? You know, I mean, there's, I guess, two ways that I sort of think about it. So there's marketers that come to our site um, that will use G2 to help them find the right, you know, marketing tools, sales tools, maybe productivity tools, et cetera, so that they can do their job better, right? And then there's marketers that work at software companies that come to G2 for that reason that I meant, those reasons that I mentioned earlier, but also because they want to leverage G2's marketing solutions to get in front of the other group of marketers that is, you know, looking for software. So it's a little bit kind of like meta on that front, but I think, you know, we work with everyone ultimately at the end of the day with, with being a marketplace, you know, if we don't have buyers coming to our site every month looking for software, then we call them sellers, like sellers, like software companies won't really want to be on G2 because, you know, there's not really any benefit for them. Now, regardless of whether they want to be on the platform or not is, is almost like a moot point because if someone uses a piece of software, they can still review that software regardless of whether that company is, you know, has claimed their page on G2 and or is a paying customer of ours. But naturally, you know, we find that like the software companies want to manage their page. They want to be able to respond to reviews and they want to be able to, you know, license our content, you know, assuming they have a great product. If they have lots of bad reviews, then typically they, they aren't the biggest fans of us and they sometimes take that out on us when in fact they probably should use the reviews to help educate their product teams how to build better products. But, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, there's millions and millions of businesses that come to G2.com every single month. And that number's growing like something, but it's like 25% month on month growth at the moment. So my team has been doing an amazing job and, you know, there's a, a bunch of other teams at G2 as well that are helping with that. But it's been the growth that we've seen in the last sort of, you know, 16 months has been just explosive. And, um, you know, it's been really, it's been a really exciting time. Do you think that there's some issues around like verified reviews? I know that that's something that, you know, Amazon has dealt with about verified purchase and all that sort of stuff. I mean, you could imagine a world where those unscrupulous uh, individuals out there, uh, you know, doing reviews for their competitors and things like that. How do you, how do you ward against that stuff? Yeah, no, I mean, I think wherever there's like companies like us trying to do what we're doing, there's always going to be companies that you can pay to try and beat the system. You know, I think we, this is, I guess where we're really proud is that like we put in a lot more checks and balances than I think other people in the space. So First up, like to leave a review on G2 takes, you know, it can take anywhere from five to 10 minutes because we ask a lot of questions, but we're not just asking you random questions. Like we require a screenshot of you logged into the product. We require you to like OAuth in with LinkedIn so we can see you're not like working for a competitive company. We have a ton of like digital checks like those that I just mentioned, but then every single review actually gets reviewed by a human as well. So 
you know, I think what we, we have, we're getting close to 800,000 verified reviews on our site, but we've probably had, you know, gosh, I don't know the number, but we've, we would have had tens of thousands of fake reviews that never made it to the site because we caught them out. So that's super important to us. And our platform doesn't work without that, that check in place. You know, there's a, there's a really interesting, I forget who said this, but like a little anecdote that the best books on Amazon are never the ones with five-star reviews. Um, I think it's something like War and Peace has like a three-star review and, uh, and stuff like that because it's just ultimately not, uh, not made for everyone, although it's a phenomenal piece of work. Do you ever fear that in the future that there might be a situation where there's so much data, there's so much information on G2 that it's ultimately becomes like less less interesting or is it just kind of the more the better? Um, I, look, I think, I, I personally think the more the better. I think though, like if, if I think of kind of the analogy in my mind of like software bloat though, right? You know, if you build a CRM solution, if you build every single feature that your um, customers ask for, like in every single customer asks for, it will probably become bloated and then most of the features won't get used and then it'll be clunky and then it'll die. So I think like that's like a legitimate issue, I think for, you know, hardcore software for us, like in terms of a website and a marketplace that we are, like we're completely in the cloud. You don't download anything to your, to your computer. Um, I think for us, it's all about making sure like we give you the right information at the right time. And, you know, we build in a lot of predictive models and analytics and AI into our tool so that, depending on who you are and what you're looking at on our site, we show you the next most relevant thing. So like an example would be if you're, you know, if you're researching CRM software on our site um, and you're clicking around, we're not going to try and push you to looking at a cost comparison between one CRM and another, because you might, you're still validating whether or not CRM software might be even right for your business. And once you then click in a few more pages and are, are reading more, then you might want to compare features. And then it's only maybe after features that you want to look at pricing. So I think everyone has a very different buyer's journey depending on who they are, what their experience is with software. And, um, you know, our, our site's all about personalizing to their experience and who they are. I want to know what does marketing look like at G2? Like how have you arrayed your team, how have, you know, you've been there enough time. I think you probably have a pretty decent handle on what's going on or maybe not. I don't know. But, uh, but how do you look at organizing this team or what are some of the differences? Like, I don't know if you manage SEO and I know you clearly have a, a really crack SEO team because they've been doing great work, but, um, what is kind of like your, where you're at now and kind of where you want to be with, with building this team? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, this is one of my favorite things to talk about, seriously, because I just freaking love the team and we've built an amazing team. Um, but when I, I, so I joined, as I said, you know, a year and a half ago and there was five or so marketers on the team. So fast forward to today, we're at about 50 marketers and we'll be at about 60 wow. by, you know, the end, but by the middle of this year, perhaps, uh, maybe a little bit sooner. So it's, that's a pretty big marketing team, like what, 60 people considering we only have 30, uh, sorry, 300 employees. And so it's a little bit of a different shape, my org structure than, you know, most marketing teams I've built in the past. And the reason being is because with that marketplace, you know, a good portion of my team is focused on attracting buyers to our site. And then a good portion of my team is focused on how do we, you know, move software sellers through our funnel to help our sales team, you know, sell. And so I, I have three core teams. So 
there's a content and SEO team and that team is, is pretty large. It's probably one of the largest teams in marketing and that is looking at, you know, creating content on our blog, which is learn.g2.com. It's our learning hub. There's SEO folks on that team. We just hired an amazing new leader for that team who's the VP of that team. He just joined us from Atlassian where he led all of their SEO and content efforts. His name's Kevin. He's a, he's a total rock star. And so that team is very much focused on buyers. How do we get millions and millions and millions of buyers to our site every month? And then I have a demand gen team, which is led by another amazing marketer called Adam, who um, you know, is very much more traditional in the sense of what that team looks like in relation to a B2B SaaS company. So there are field marketers that run events, there's a paid marketer, there's a growth marketer, there's event marketers, there's uh, marketing ops, um, there's nurturing, et cetera. And then I have my third kind of like pod, which is the kind of pod or team that sort of is the foundation for both teams. And that's led by this incredibly remarkable woman on my team who I just absolutely think is just such a freaking amazing marketer. Her name's Lauren. She and I work together at Exact Target and Salesforce. And she leads our brand and buzz team, which includes product marketing, comms, um, our internal agency, our brand team. And, um, and that team focuses on how do we, you know, create the right product marketing so that our sales team can sell. How do we create the right messaging so people want to leave reviews on our site? How do we run awesome, amazing campaigns and create a brand that people love? So across those teams is really sort of where I, I focus my time. And um, yeah, that comes to just under 60 folks right now. So that's, a, you know, I think you were asking, you know, where is it and where do you want to take it? I mean, I'm really fortunate that from, gosh, early on, our board of directors was really bought in, I think, to the vision that I, um, I presented to them when I joined and where I wanted to take it. And they've been amazing about really not getting in the way because we've, we've hit all of our goals and exceeded all of our goals that they've set for us. So I think, you know, I, I really think that where, where we are today is where I want it to be. So if anything, I wouldn't see it changing dramatically other than maybe just expanding to allow a little bit more specialization in certain roles. But, you know, I think this year we're, we're leaning into video quite a bit more. So we have video reviews on our site now, which, which people are, I was personally really surprised. I didn't think people would want to leave video reviews like on software, but surprisingly they really do and software companies and people that are looking to buy software love seeing a video review because to our discussion point earlier in terms of like credibility you can really easily tell if someone is truly talking about a software product that they use or don't use when you watch them talk about it so um yeah a lot of fun things sorry if i Wait, just how, rambled how do you incentivize <laughs> that that's wild that's a really interesting insight how do you incentivize people to to do that i mean i i'm trying to think of like the amount of products that I've written a review for. I feel like anytime it's like, I want to keep this, this company in business. I'm like, I need to write you a review. So this product never goes away. Right. I'm like, that's my, that's my trigger. Or if they ask nicely, are, are people asking their customers to do this? Are you asking them? Are you incentivizing? Are you giving away gift cards? Like what's going on? Yeah. You know, we do a bunch of different things. So about a third of the reviews on our site come organically so just people that, you know, they might be, they're typically researching software themselves. So they're looking to buy something and then through the process of them logging in and researching software, we might send them an email or a push notification or something saying, Hey, you know, it looks like your stack of software is blah, blah, blah. Um, would you like to leave a review? So third of it comes from those sorts of interactions, people using our site that, you know, get value from it and then want to give value back. 
about a third of the reviews come from software companies themselves that literally email their database. So they, you know, oftentimes they'll come to us and they say, hey, like, why is my competitor beating me on the email marketing grid? And our response is, well, they've got a lot more reviews than you and they've got a lot more happy reviews. So if you want to, you know, improve your rankings, like A, you need to have a good product and B, you need to get your customers talking about that. So we recommend and we give best practice and kind of guidelines on how they should go about doing that. So that's where a bit like the second third of reviews comes from. And then the third bucket of reviews comes from advertising, our own emails that we send to our database to, to drive reviews. Sometimes we'll offer a $5 Starbucks gift card or an Amazon gift card. Sometimes we'll offer a $20 gift card. It really kind of depends on what we're asking. A video review typically will cost a little bit more like from a, from a gift card perspective. So it might be $20 gift card. But if we're emailing people that have already left a written review, then they're really willing to do a review for free on video because they, they just will leave a short little message to add more clarity to their review. So it's pretty, um, it's pretty distributed, I would say, how our reviews come through. But they come through really quickly. And we have like, when I joined, I think we were at like 400,000 and almost doubled in a year and a half. So um, that's pretty wild. I have a question for Lauren. Lauren, have you ever entered anything on Wikipedia? <laughs> um, yes, but um, yes. Why do I laugh about this? Um, it was to win an argument. <laughs> this is not a good story. And this is thankfully why we have G2 and people that are reviewing reviews to make sure they are, um, they are correct. I had a, an argument years and years, this is probably 10 years ago, and I had an argument with a friend and his brothers about how old Scott Baio was. <laughs> so we went in and we um, uh, changed Scott Baio's date of birth. Oh, to win the argument? Yes. Oh, yes you played dirty. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Um, <laughs> that's, that's why I was laughing. I was like, yes, I, I have in fact left that. Nate changes on Wikipedia. I, they've put more controls in place, so you can't just go in and make the change. Also, I have no idea why we were arguing about how old Scott Baio was. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? So, Ryan, have you have you done that? Uh, you know what? I don't think I've left that much on Wikipedia. I've consumed a ton of content on there, but I also hadn't left too many reviews myself on G2, and I use a lot of software. I think though for me, I've definitely left more reviews at least than I have left in terms of wiki edits just purely because I think I feel more passionate about software given I use it so much. Whereas for topics on Wikipedia, I probably haven't as much, but just, that's just me personally. I think for me, it's Yelp. Like for, especially for restaurants, like I, a lot of my friends and, and folks that I know have worked in the restaurant industry and they just get freaking killed on Yelp. And it's like the most heinous stuff you've ever seen and so i was anytime there's like a really good server just nice person or whatever i think it means a lot to people but i'm just trying to like get a get a grasp on like these good samaritans out there that are just out there doing great work helping people with nothing in return it's really remarkable i want to pivot slightly away from good people and changing the world and how there are so many reviewers that are not uh, nefariously changing Scott Baio's date of birth yeah, and are actually just giving back. Um, What's wrong with you? To one of the things that, that Ryan had said was part of the reason he's been able to say build such a big organization is 
having these goals from the board, hitting the goals and sort of exceeding the goals and knowing a bit about Ryan's background, I don't think this is new for you. I don't think this is my goal. I'm going to hit it and I'm going to exceed it was a surprise result at G2. And I would love to talk to you more about some of the kind of the other great work that you've you've done with regards to how you've driven demand and how you've really built high performing sort of revenue organizations. Yeah, sure thing. Gosh, where do I start? Um, I mean, I, I was really lucky. So, you know, one of our, many of our board members understand marketing really well, which is nice. So one of our board members is the CMO. Um, she was the ex CMO at MongoDB who recently just moved, you know, another one of our board members is, was my CMO at exact target. So, I feel like the board from the get-go got marketing. And so the goals they set me were just to like double the results from the previous year, (laughs) which like as anyone who like is in a fast growing business, like as those numbers start to get big, like ours are getting big, it's harder and harder to continue to keep doubling because the, the, the base is just so much bigger. But they, they were great in the sense that they really helped me focus on what to do. So their three big things for me was grow traffic because more traffic means more buyers. Um, their second thing was build a demand engine to support our, our sales team. And then the third thing for me was build a brand that people around the world love, trust and, you know, come to regularly. And so, you know, I think to hit those traffic goals that I needed to hit, you know, I built a, a large content team. I brought in amazing SEO folks. And um, that was kind of, you know, building out that content playbook there and just, you know, going and leaning on a lot of my experiences at HubSpot and at Salesforce around how to drive demand through through content online. In terms of building the demand gen function, I, I don't feel like, I, I wouldn't say like what we've done there yet anyways is super revolutionary. Like I, I do really think though that our content and SEO strategy is, is really best practice in the sense of like it's better i'd say like it's it's beyond best practice in that what are some of the things we're doing most people aren't doing just yet whereas i feel like demand gen there hasn't been as much innovation in demand gen in in a while i mean content is part of demand gen i think in a lot of ways but normally the content is focused on driving traffic and then demand gen takes over through conversion rate optimization on the website but um you know, we're doing an awesome job there because the demand gen engine didn't exist and we're driving millions in net new pipe for the sales team every month that's completely sourced via marketing and then the BDR team. But getting that up and running was just, you know, we just didn't have any people. So that took a bit, a bit of time. And then the third thing, building out that brand, that's probably the thing that I did last. And it was funny because I remember like six months into the role, I was at my second board meeting and the team, you know, they like the board was seeing that traffic was growing faster than it had ever grown before. Demand gen was really picking up and starting to scale. Um, and they were like, where's the brand work, dude? Like WTF. <laughs> I remember just like, I remember like literally just saying to them directly, I was like, well, look guys, to be completely honest, I haven't done anything on the brand job because, you know, if, if I like nailed brand and I hadn't nailed traffic and demand gen, I would fire me. And I didn't want to get fired and you guys now can't fire me because I've like crushed my numbers. And so (laughs) brand's a little bit subjective and I know you want me to improve it and I'm going to do that right now, but that's the reality. And I think they all got it, you know? And so that was sort of the thing that I did kind of in H2 of, of the year. And, you know, I'm still kind of rolling out at the moment. We're migrating our site from g2crowd.com right now to g2.com this weekend. 
So, you know, that, that's sort of like the final steps of the rebrand. But um, I don't know. I mean, I think to, to your like second part of your question, like building really high performing teams and, you know, crushing goals. You know, I think like the crushing goals thing is unfortunately just in my DNA. Not like <laughs> that sounds really like, I'm like touting my own horn. I, I mean that like in a humble way in the sense of, uh, that's you know, gonna, I, have, I, was gonna say, I have severe that's self-esteem <laughs> issues or I have had self-esteem issues in the past whereby like the only way for me to feel secure is to really do a good job at work to, to feel like I am valued, which don't worry, I've seen a therapist very regularly and I've worked on a lot of those issues. So I don't feel like I have that problem as much anymore. But, you know, yeah, that's just kind of, I don't know, I put a ton of pressure on myself and then I hire really, I think I, I hire really well. I learned for hiring well from my boss, Kip, at HubSpot because he was brutal. Like I remember trying to hire some roles at HubSpot and I literally had a role open for 12 months and I interviewed probably like 150, 200 candidates before we found someone that was just right. We found a lot of really great people, but he just had really high standards. And I'm so glad that he did because I think it taught me how to really look for the right person and who can do the, the best in, in the job. So, um, yeah, you know, I make mistakes as well when it comes to hiring. But um, I think more often than not, I, I, can, I can choose those winners. What's been your worst day as a marketer? Hmm. I don't know if there's been a worst day. Like I really haven't... Uh, Bad it's a cop out. There's going to be no, no, no. a bad. I'll, I'll, get, I'll, I'll kind of get you there, and I'm glad that you called bullshit there on me as well because I asked you to. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I think bad days for me, or days when I'm my most stressed, anyways, are when we have events on. So I love events. I love speaking at events. Like if someone else is host is running an event and I'm speaking, like put me in front of twenty thousand people, I'm fine. But like when I'm speaking at my own event that my company that I work for is running, which then means that my team's running, I find that ridiculously stressful. And they're probably my worst days. I'm probably not at my finest behind the scenes. I'm probably a little bit of And um, yeah, that, that's probably my worst. And I think which relates to that as well is part of it is like when you're running an event and not as many people show up as you need because you know, you always expect for drop off, you build that into the plan. So if you want a thousand people to be there for a free event, you need at least like 2,200 registrants realistically, because you're going to get a 50% drop off, you know, assuming the weather's <clears> not even bad. And so I don't know, that stresses me out a lot. So that's probably one of my, my worst days um, or types of days. That's the worst. What else? Uh, I remember having a really horrible day once in Japan where we were throwing this event at HubSpot and I memorized a like two minute long intro to welcome everyone in Japanese. And my, like the, you know, a guy on our team who translated it for me made a few mistakes. And I remember someone, another Japanese colleague being like, oh, you have to change these, these few words. And that completely threw me off. <laughs> yeah. um, and I had to like relearn the whole two minutes like really quickly. That wasn't the funnest moment. I hope they're not complete cop-outs, but they're just two biggies that I can think of. I think we all agree events are, are some of the absolute best times in our career and also some of the most awful. Oh, 100%. Like I... I love events and as sort of a, someone who came from digital marketing, the fact that I love running events programs is very strange and unheard of. Actually, it just reminds me of when I was running marketing at AdRoll years ago, we were doing our, our APAC launch in Sydney just to make sure we stay on the Sydney theme. <laughs> and we're doing this whole series of events. We've got 
branded camper van. We're going from Melbourne to Sydney. We're meeting with customers and everything has this sort of culminates at this pinnacle of one of our founders is keynoting EdTech Sydney. And then we're going to invite customers and prospects and press and everyone to our launch party. And our launch party is going to be on the island, which is a floating nightclub that floats. Oh, yeah. Fun place. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. So we okay, rent the island festival. and it's this gorgeous spot. It fits probably 400 people. We're going to park it by Sydney Opera House. And we have people that are pre-registered. I don't know what's going to happen. And the weather forecast says it's going to rain that day. And this is literally a barge floating in Sydney Harbor. And a couple of days earlier, it was sideways rain in Sydney, which never happens. And it's supposed to rain. Our reg numbers aren't exactly what we wanted it to be, but we also met tons of customers and prospects over the course of the week. We have all of the invites going. And this was my second big launch with them. It is months of prep and work. And I can't tell you how stressed I was the entire time. And I was myself, our events person, we're calling restaurants in Sydney Harbor to say, if I give you $10,000, can you hold, hold the restaurant for us just in case? We will pay you like we're going to have an event. And if we don't have it, you can keep the money. That's crazy. Everyone was like, no, you can't do this. You have to book us or not book us. And I was like, but tomorrow you're closed. Can I give you money for the optionality of being open? And we just sat and had to hope everything works out. It turned out the weather that day was completely flawless. It was the perfect temperature. There was no wind. The event was full. We were shuttling people back and forth and our founder gave the, you know, welcome to Australia speech. Everything's amazing. And I kid you not, in the background, someone was setting off fireworks, which had oh, yeah. nothing to do with us. But as he does the, you know, toast and we're so happy to be here, fireworks go off in the background. And I was like, that's it. I am done. I am done. Nothing can get better than this moment. And I couldn't enjoy or be present during any of that event because the amount of pressure that was on it. And as soon as the fireworks went off, it was this just complete and total moment of relief uh, <laughs> that I will to this day never forget. I also don't get as stressed at events anymore. And that was, that was the pinnacle of stress. Don't don't host an outdoor event when there is no other option when there's potentially rain. Yeah, that's stressful. You're isn't stressing there a, me out just hearing that. No, I, it, was, it was one of the most stressful days of my career and also one of the highlights at the same time. And just when the fireworks went off, it's like, I don't know how that just happened. Isn't perfect. there an Australian saying like, she'll be right or something like that? Did I make this up? Ryan, can you confirm? I don't know about that. Yeah. So <laughs> when 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 I was there, some old guys were saying that that basically there's a saying like she'll be right, like like she'll be all right. Basically, like if if anything's really bad, like anything's going like super bad, like there's a monsoon and you know you're gonna go golfing or something like that. It's like yeah, she'll be right. Yeah, um, it's kind of yeah. I just I think my my I'm just more so disagreeing in the sense that I don't I don't believe that she'll be right. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, <laughs> you most so of the time it'll be wrong. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're saying that it does exist. It's just never actually, uh, actually <laughs> Yeah, right? yeah, that was exactly it. Yeah. Um, my so, my brother has said the exact same thing to me. He I love my brother to death. He's likely never gonna listen to this, which is why I'll tell this story. My mom's probably listening. I years and years ago, I was trying to decide what I was going to do for work and I had two different options. And I remember talking to my older brother about it. And this had to be I don't know, like 13, 14 years ago. And I remember he looked at me and goes, Lauren, why are you so worried? I mean, whatever you choose is going to be the wrong decision anyway. <laughs> That's the glass half empty right there. Speaking of another Sydney story, uh, Ryan, could you give us the, the one minute version of uh, how, you, how you took $6,000 and turned it into 64 million? No bags. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Okay, so look, long story short, um, so I'm a, kind of like what I was talking about with content before and how to build content and demand and traffic. I think that my spark notes on the topic is just that most people don't know how to drive traffic and demand. And Agreed. they start with like, you know, if they try and drive demand, they think about their product and they try and sell it. And it's like really not about that. I'm a big believer in thinking about, okay, who is it that like I'm trying to sell something to? And what is it that that person does with their time when they're not trying to buy my software? Because the reality is when they're trying to buy your software, they're probably going to find your stuff. Like if they, you know, if someone type, types in like software reviews, they're going to find G2. But like for me, I'm like, how do I get in front of people that aren't going to type in software reviews? And so that's where I'm really big on doing my content strategy based off of search demand. So looking out there and saying, where is their volume in search? Like what are people searching for and what searches indicate that they are of a persona that I can sell to? So, you know, in this story of a HubSpot's email signature generator, basically our leads were starting to slow down because we had you know, we had cannibalized all of the topics that we traditionally knew our buyer persona came from, you know, someone searching for marketing automation or email marketing or social media, all of these things. You know, if you search any of those topics, you'll probably get a blog post from HubSpot or a blog post from G2's new learning hub, which is starting to take over. And I think within a year, we're going to have more traffic every month than HubSpot, which I'm not going to lie, a little bit proud of. Um, <laughs> And so, and so I was doing research and I kind of thought to myself, okay, like we sell to people that are, you know, small, medium businesses. What's something that small and medium businesses do? Like, well, when they start out, they have to, you know, buy a domain name. And I was like, oh, you know, it's probably going to be hard to build a, a GoDaddy competitor. Like that's a pretty big business in its own right. Let's not do that. Um, you know, what's else, what else do they do? They probably need to, you know, set up um, an email server. Maybe they'll go with Google Gmail or, or Windows or Microsoft 365. Who knows? Um, again, they're pretty big businesses. Like that's going to be hard to create a free version of that. And I was like, oh, well, like everyone, you know, has to create an email signature when they start a new job or if they start a new company. And that's something that people do like pretty early on and they update it and they want it to look professional. And so, yeah, I did some research with my team and we found that there was like 70,000 monthly searches in the US alone for the terms email signature, email signature generator, email signature templates. And so we work with a little agency in Sydney who are amazing. Um, they're called More Business Online, who I still use them today to build some of my free tools. I'm working on a couple of goodies at G2 right now. But, you know, we built that out and then 
you know, within a few months it started ranking and then it really quickly got into the first position of Google. So if anyone listening to this right now searches email signature or email signature generator, you will find that HubSpot tool. And, you know, if you go and check it out and use it, you'll notice that like when you're building your email signature, you're effectively filling out a lead form, right? And then we're visualizing what your signature is going to look like for you on the side and you can change the colors, etc. but it's a lead form. So it's kind of like a lead form in disguise, which I don't think is shady because we make it clear that we're, you know, adding you to our database and you can obviously unsubscribe if you like, but because there were so many people searching for it every month organically, it very quickly became, you know, I think one of the top five most trafficked pages on our site. And I think it's the number one most lead generating page on HubSpot.com. So if you, if you run HubSpot.com's website through any SEO tool, you'll see that the email signature landing page is, you know, up there in top five pages and, you know, it drives millions and millions in revenue for HubSpot, net new revenue every month. So um, that was a, a fun project to work on. And it was extra fun, I think, because my boss, who I love and I spoke of earlier, kind of said it was a bad idea and, and I felt like I knew it was a good idea. And so I just kind of still did it. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that story. And I think it's so interesting for, for the marketers listening about thinking about like branded tools and things like that. It's one of the things we spend way too much time at mission thinking about of like what tools could we create that could be like a branded vehicle for, for something cool. Like the, a great example of that is the clicks CPM calculator. I've used that thing like 50,000 times. I swear I've used that calculator so many times. And I think that as we look at, you know, we're building a lot of chatbots at mission and, um, doing a bunch of stuff with like podcast.ai and like searchability and bestpodcast.com and all this sort of stuff. Like there's so many interesting things around what people are searching for. Like why this podcast is named marketing trends is because of the search volume for the, for the phrase marketing trends. And I just think it's so interesting to think about tools. Well, thanks so much, Ryan, for hanging out. This has been awesome. It's been really it great, great to be on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. No, yep. This has been fantastic. Thank you for, for being here and for sharing all of your perspectives, stories, advice for our listeners. Awesome. Thanks again, team. Yep. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes, and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now.
From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.